I'm Bedroth. And I'm the Dyad. I'm a lawyer. And I'm not. And you're joining us in... The The Movie movie Bar. So, Bedroth... What what movie did we watch this week, huh? 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 What movie? What movie was it? <laughs> this week, it's been I guess it hasn't been as long since we since we released so late uh, this past month. Since I released so late this last month, that's not really on part of your your portion of the deal. Uh, but yeah, this month, um, well, it was it was your choice. Why don't you tell us which movie we watched this month? I guess I guess that's fair. We watched uh, And Justice for All. Listen, recess is almost over, and uh, all I've got left is this illegal lottery case. Did you know that there's a guy eating something off your table? Huh? The guy you're prosecuting? Yeah. He's eating the lottery tickets. Holy shit. Get out of here. Don't swallow. You son of a bitch. My client. Get out of here. Don't swallow. Gentlemen, need I remind you, you are in a court of law? Now let's proceed in an orderly fashion. Uh, you know, I I had the IMDb page open earlier, and I, I must have closed it. I think it was a 1979 release from memory. I've got um, yeah, I've got Wikipedia and IMDb open for for myself. I was just kind of refreshing my memory since we're recording um, as as usual about a week later than we originally planned to. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, since you and I are both are both dads, uh, we we do sometimes get caught up in stuff. But yeah, uh, September fifteenth, nineteen seventy nine. Um, and well, actually, that was in Toronto. It was released October nineteenth, nineteen seventy nine, here in the states. And uh, Wikipedia describes it as an American neo-noir legal comedy drama film (laughs) directed by Norman Jewison, uh, written by Valerie Curtin and Barry Levinson. uh, And they they were nominated for uh, an original screenplay Oscar. Uh, It stars Jack Warden, John Forsyth, Lee Strasberg, Jeffrey Tambor, Christine Lottie, Craig T. Nelson, and Thomas Waits, uh, all in supporting roles. And the lead in the film, uh, who also scored uh, an Oscar nomination for his performance, is Al Pacino. Yeah, so this um, this was my recommendation, and... This is one of my, if not my favorite, legal movie. Um, my Cousin Vinny is probably, it's right up there, but obviously it's a very different type of movie. Mm-hmm. Um, my Cousin Vinny, of course, being much more of a comedy than a drama. And this, as you described, has got a whole lot of elements in it. But I think the right. the main theme is it's... Uh, uh, well, it's much more somber in overall than much my more of a drama than a comedy. Yeah, there, there, right, there were for some, sure. definitely some funny elements in it. Um, uh, Jack Warden's character specifically uh, mm-hmm. lent quite a bit of comedy, although in some places it was very dark comedy. But uh, right, right. Same with Jeffrey and, Tambor. Sure, and I think a lot of the comedy is from kind of like 
outrageous circumstances and less mm-hmm. haha that's a funny joke like you would get from again my cousin Vinny my cousin this is Vinny, uh, yeah yeah a, a horse of a different color so um, what is your history with this movie why, why do you think it's um, one of your favorites I was trying to remember when I first saw it and I think <sighs> I don't know if I saw it before I started law school but um after graduating and going out and actually working in the industry, I, <laughs> I really relate to what I think of as the main theme of this movie is just kind of how the legal system just sort of grinds down and affects everybody who's a part of it. And the degree that the people are affected and how they deal with it is very different. But, um, I think it's a good portrayal of that. And I think it's, um, I don't know. I think it's, it's an important look at a lot of different aspects of the justice system that despite this movie being, you know, 40 years old at this point is still, uh, completely applicable in many of the things that it shows and many of the, the concepts that it, it, it talks about and deals with. So, um, I just think it's a really well done in that way and um think uh, kind of like a maybe like an important way to look at it at the at the legal field. It's kind of yeah, a, a think, rambling answer to your question. No, I think uh I think you had a lot of good points there and I I definitely uh I see what you're talking about. It, this I guess it's kind of like one one of those this is how the sausage is made kind of movies <laughs> it really yeah definitely it really shows uh, the 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 darker side of some things and like we talked about in um a time to kill you you mentioned when we were discussing that movie um how many alcoholics <laughs> there were and mm-hmm. uh, th- that is one of the leading problems in in the le- er, the legal field is I think you said either the profession or one of the professions where alcoholism is most prolific among its members. Mm-hmm. And yeah, right. I think this movie m- maybe maybe is a good – gives some good reasons as to why. Yeah, yeah. It definitely deals with the mental health tolls that um, – I, I mean, I guess almost like – surprisingly good way since it's such an old movie and you maybe don't i feel like that's not necessarily how this kind of thing is presented in a movie of that vintage Mm -hmm. or just like media but um yeah so i mean i I don't want to i don't want to gush too much about i don't want to uh you know mislead the jury of our listeners let them make their own decision after they've heard all the facts yeah, absolutely. This is a this is the oldest movie that we've watched, um, and I think maybe in in some of the pacing and some of the tone uh, that that comes through, where it's kind of a product of its time. Mm-hmm. But I will say that thematically, um, I was actually very impressed with the way that some issues that were still even now uh, dealing with in in our culture, things that have kind of reared their ugly heads. Um, especially over the last four or five years um, mm-hmm. with the way that this movie presents them and how Pacino 
I, I really like how Pacino's character, um, Arthur Kirkland, I think his heart is what redeems most of this movie because he's such – even though he's flawed, he is such a good guy at heart that you can't help but root for him. And right. because of Pacino's just extreme talent, you you really – you feel what he feels. He takes you on that journey with him and the outrage that he feels at the injustices he sees and the frustration that he feels that, that he can do so little about it just – it. I was the more that I reflected on this movie after watching it, the more I was just really, really impressed with uh, with Kirkland's character and Pacino's performance. Yeah, I think uh, I agree with everything that you just said there, for sure. So, um, we uh, we're going to go ahead and continue with a format that we have sort of adopted over the last couple of episodes. Uh, I will sort of tell the story of the movie, and as we go, uh, the dyad will jump in with some of his legal observations, and then at the end we will present our uh, our verdicts. Uh, me from the perspective of the casual movie watcher, and the dyad from the perspective of of the the expert witness, I guess, or uh, just the professional. Expert witnesses are going to come in a little bit later, but we'll talk about that at the end of the show. That's right. So you're ready um, to go ahead and get started? I am. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt you very, very soon, but I'll let you set the table first. That's all right. I, I expect that you'll have quite a bit to say about this one. So, <laughs> um, so we start out with... Uh, it's sort of in in media ray uh where your things are already going on as as the movie starts and um i forget exactly how things are set up at the beginning but we we're introduced to a couple of different figures here um we open up in in a jail uh, a jail cell and a um uh, a black man who is a uh, a crossdresser. It's not clear whether he is what we would call uh, trans today, or if he is ju- simply uh, a crossdresser. But uh, like stressing a drag. But uh, either way, uh, he is brought in and um, taken back to the cells, and he is made to to strip down uh, just to um, humiliate him and to entertain the other prisoners and the officers. And in one of the cells is Arthur Kirkland, our star. Um, he you can see that he is sort of put out by his surroundings, but you can also see that he, he is concerned for, for the guy who was brought in. And even as they're letting him go, he asks if, you know, if the kid can't be like moved to a, a different place or anything. And the, the, the booker is just like, well, you know, let them have their fun. It's a, it's long nights and, and it's a rough job, whatever. Uh, you can tell that he doesn't really care. And that Kirkland is bothered by the fact that he doesn't care. I understand you took a swing at Judge Fleming. Is that true? Hey, Kylie, why don't you do something about that kid in there? Put him someplace else. Oh, they're just having some fun with him, that's all. Fun? Well, sometimes the boys get bored. With you, it's still new and exciting. Saying here. Why don't you ease up on the judge? He's your kind of guy, huh? Yeah, Fleming's a tough man. Hates scum almost as much as we do. Morning, Mr. Kirkland. 
And immediately upon his release, one more important minor character who comes in a little bit later, um, the actor's name is Dominic uh, Chianese, I believe that's how it'd be pronounced. He plays a an obviously rich businessman named Carl Travers, who is um, has been in a car accident, and he's with a prostitute, uh, and he is trying to reach his lawyer, who turns out to be Arthur Kirkland, so that he can sue the guy that caused the accident. And you can see Kirkland shows up and he's trying to like tone everything down. He um he he assures the guy he's gonna take care of he assures his client, the rich guy, he's gonna take care of things. And um so Travers just gets taken off an ambulance still like, you're gonna lose everything, buddy. My lawyer's gonna gonna rip you a new one, stuff like that. And, <laughs> Death penalty, and, he tells him. Yeah. Yeah, the death penalty, right? And then Kirkland turns around, makes sure the other guy is okay. Tells him he should probably go to the hospital. And um, that's our introduction to to Arthur Kirkland and a couple of characters who who are going to come in a little bit later in the story. Where the hell is he? What do you mean he's in jail? My lawyer's in jail. Contempt of court. He's too goddamn emotional. Get him. I've had a car accident. I haven't left the scene of the accident. I'm in it. Can't you hear the confusion around me? Can't you hear this noise? Why am I trying to get me out of the car? I'm trapped. I'm trapped because some son of a bitch. Sir, could you move back? We're going to oh, try and get you out. Really, can't you see him on the phone? Just a minute now. Keep it down for Christ's sake. I want you to sue the son of a bitch who did this to me. Every cent he's got. Every nickel. Thank God I can walk. Call you, right? Disappeared. Make sure nobody uses my car phone. I'm in a hospital. Some jerk calls Rome. Carl, Carl, you're going to have a stroke. You'll have to deal with my lawyer. The death penalty. You'll die for this. He's the best. I got a terrible headache. Be all right. I'll call you at the hospital. Yeah. I wanted to... um, Oh, I guess I should uh, mention. uh, The reason that Kirkland is in jail... Uh, if I could go ahead and say this, is uh-huh. um, he, he was found in contempt of court uh, for punching the judge at the uh, at the, his last court appearance, and we'll, we'll I believe learn about he that was a little swinging at him. I don't think I don't think he actually hit him, but he definitely threw oh, okay, a punch. Okay, gotcha. He threw a punch. Doesn't say he actually hit him. Very, very yeah, <laughs> right. Good point, counsel. That that was one of the two things I was going to say because I thought it was worth mentioning. And the the other thing is um, objection sustained. <laughs> The other thing is, I just wanted to really hit on it that in the scene of this accident, um, Arthur Kirkland calms down Carl, his client, gets Carl, like, he gets loaded him into the ambulance and whatever, and then he goes to the, the person that he's ostensibly going to be suing on Carl's behalf right. soon, and immediately goes to start caring for him and does not, mm-hmm. you know, 
he's like, you should really go to a hospital and let me, let me take you. And, um, it just, I, it sets the tone. You get the right out of the gate. You get the, the, the two main points of Arthur Kirkland is, uh, maybe like can get worked up, but also cares a lot, I guess, is maybe the, the, what you start from, uh, the starting point for Arthur. He, he's maybe got a bit of a temper, but but he has a, a core of decency. Mm-hmm. So the other, I w- the other thing I want to say is the the character that we see that we mentioned the trans person is his name's Arthur. Uh, I mean, sorry, Ralph Aggie. And I do have a lot to say about Ralph, but I think um, maybe we'll put a pin in it until we get to the n- the next time we see him, and then just I don't want to forget, but I'll let you know. I'll I've got some more um, to talk about for Ralph. Ralph but, Aggie um, played by Robert Christian, and yes, we will we will definitely be coming back to Ralph. Uh, so yeah, so, uh, I guess that's another thing I'm pretty impressed by is there there are quite a few players in in this movie uh, who come in and out and are are fairly important, um, and he uh, the the movie rolls them out in such a way that it's not overwhelming and you you can fairly well keep track of who's who and what's going on yeah yeah uh that's a good point so you um you're kind of following arthur for a bit and you see him you see him in jail you see him getting out he goes to go talk to his client then does he actually you know let me take a step back does he go to his office first or does he go straight to the courthouse because i know he has a couple of stops where he talks to his assistant and basically several people tell him he smells and he looks disheveled and yeah i think yada, that yada. yes he goes to his office first and then he, yeah and then and they tell him and so then then he goes to the courthouse after that right but so you get the sense that um arthur is overworked and is just going non-stop you know, uh, burning the candle at both ends type of type of guy. You also definitely get the sense that this is not the first night he spent in jail. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. But what the, the thing that I wanted to, to, to uh, give kudos to is you get this scene of just like utter chaos in the halls of the courtroom with, uh, yes. you know, attorneys talking to their clients and like, there's a, a mother who's angry with her son who, presumably is in some hot water and just like smacks him upside the head. And you just see all these people just like having these legal conversations in the halls. And um, I can't say that that's the case everywhere, but um, I have personally been to trial courts and seen to a lesser degree that exact thing happening. I mean, you know, not like people smacking their kids or whatever, but like the lawyer huddled in the corner with their client and the kind of like this chaotic thing out in the halls because it's just these people are trying to find a, a spare spot to meet with their client and work through things or negotiate a deal or whatever. And I can imagine that it would probably be just as it is portrayed in like a big city like Baltimore, which uh, was where this movie is uh, set. So I just, uh, I thought that, that that was something that I was I didn't remember was in the movie, and then when I saw it, I was like, yeah, you know, what? I think I kind of have seen on a lesser scale this kind of thing happening. So, what what level of courthouse is this that that we're talking about here? Is this the state courthouse? I believe so. I would imagine. Yeah, I think it's uh, in Baltimore. Know, I mean, state, it could be Baltimore, just the state trial court. I don't think. I guess it could be. 
like some kind of yeah no I, I think it's i think it's just a whatever trial level state courthouse i don't i was trying to think back if i remember like reading what, what like the label on the building or or whatever but i, I don't remember yeah i i mean we're talking about pretty high level uh well fairly high level cases i guess the uh the case that we talk about with ralph could could well be um a county case um but most likely the other ones we're talking about here are are going to be state level but well, I don't know. I guess really any of them could technically be county level, but it's either way. We're we're in Baltimore. It's a big city uh, courthouse, like you said, and um, even just in a county courthouse, when I've had to go for a few times just for general like clerical things, uh, I have noticed you know they have benches lined up outside of where the courtrooms are, and there are always people sitting on the benches with with guys in suits who I presume are their attorneys, and they're always talking about things, going over paperwork and stuff like that. So. Uh, I was, I guess, in retrospect, uh, uh, the courthouse in the county where I live is enormous. Um, this one, it seemed to be a little bit cramped, actually, where where uh, Arthur was. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, at the courthouse, we're introduced to a couple of other minor players, um, a few other attorneys who who come in a little bit later. I don't know if we meet all of them right now, but. Uh, one of them is uh, Craig T. Nelson, who plays uh, Frank Bowers, uh, one of the prosecuting attorneys who comes in a little bit later. Another one is uh, Larry Brigman, is Warren Fresnel, who is one of Arthur's colleagues who um, is supposed to assist him later on with a case. Uh, ends mm-hmm. up maybe not doing a great job, but we'll come back to that. And finally, um, probably the the one who. Uh, appears the most i think he's called arthur's partner a couple of times is jay Mm -hmm. porter who's played by jeffrey tambor and uh jay is quite a character um he'll come (laughs) into the story a little bit later but at this point our impression of him is he's uh um thinks of himself as kind of a hot shot uh he's a, a little bit full of himself but um i can't remember if this is the part where he and the other guy pull Arthur into the, the men's room to like share some gossip or if that that's later on, right? Cause that's like one. Yeah. Of the big... I think that's later, but I think at this okay. point, Jay pulls him in and tries to, to clean him up a bit. And I think, yeah, he, I think he begs him to put on some cologne, I think is what happens. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you get he, the uh, sense that these guys have a history and that they, they kind of watch out for each other. Right. And it becomes clear that, um, I mean like Arthur, basically got out of jail went to see his client and then presumably you know w- went straight to the courthouse to you know have have some kind of court case or trial or hearing or whatever so he's he's there in like official business he's and he's um not being presented super well uh, or not presenting himself super well i should say right I don't remember a whole lot uh, of plot importance happening at this point uh, in the courthouse. I think a lot of this is mostly to introduce us to characters. Another mm-hmm. character who we're introduced here is uh, introduced to here is Judge Francis Rayford, uh, played by Jack Warden, uh, who is uh, ex-military and. Um, also, we find out over the course of the movie, borderline suicidal. Uh, this is some of the dark humor that we that we I was talking about. He keeps mm-hmm. a rifle in his office. Um, he uh, carries a, a pistol on him at all times, and he eats lunch out on the ledge outside his office, which is four stories up. And uh, mm-hmm. so, just a 
a colorful character who comes into play a little bit later too. And I think we also meet Judge Fleming at this point too, right? I couldn't remember if we met Fleming first or if we met McCullough, the guy whose case Fleming and uh, Kirkland don't see eye to eye on. But um, John Forsyth plays Judge Henry T. Fleming, who is sort of uh, Arthur's nemesis. Uh, there's a, a big ongoing case that um, he's been wrestling with Fleming on for for months. And um, do you want to tell us a little about this case or do you want to talk about when we meet the uh, the plaintiff first? I think we can let's I guess we'll hold off until we actually meet uh Jeff, but that was gonna be my next plot point unless you have anything yeah. else before we get there. I, I think he I can't remember the order. I thought that he confronts uh Judge Fleming about the case before we kind of hear more about it. He just we know that Kirkland that Arthur Kirkland is upset about this case and I think he goes to confront the judge and kind of apologize which oh yeah apologize for <laughs> taking a swing at him yeah and um you know you shouldn't threaten a judge that's not a good idea so that part nope. is accurate but then they start to get into the case and uh, arthur starts to plead his case and try and get the judge to come around to his perspective and that is uh, a no-no since that would be ex parte communication with the judge about yeah. his case with, uh, you know, the state attorney's not present. So, um, and kind Fleming, of a, Fleming does shut it down almost immediately. And we, we do get the, uh, what we're told, I think outright that Fleming is a real stickler for the rules. So, yeah, right. Judge Fleming. I'm going to apologize to you, sir, for my, my behavior in the courtroom. The other I don't want to hear your apologies. I don't want to hear anything you have to say. Well, that's understandable, sir. It's just, it's just I thought that maybe we could discuss this McCullough case, you know, you and I, man to man, off the record, sir. Look, if you're going to try to make a deal with me, you might wind up right back in jail. A deal? Deal? No, no, sir, I'm not trying to make a deal. Look, sir, I can understand your strict enforcement of the statute, but what I can't understand is that my client's constitutional rights are being don't denied. Don't the law to me. My client is Personally, innocent. I don't give a shit about your client. But you also get the, you immediately get the impression that Judge Fleming is kind of a bad dude. Like he's uh, not, a, not a super, not a super kind guy, but also just kind of a bit rotten. Um, yeah, yeah, you do get that impression. You definitely see that uh, he's he's like the perfect foil for Arthur, who we've shown, even though he's rough around the edges, he does have a core of decency. Fleming is presented as almost Arthur's complete opposite. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but anyway, continue. If you want to, if, if Jeff is next, then let's move over to Jeff. Yeah, I think it's actually right after this um, that uh, Arthur goes – I don't know if it's back to the same jail or if it's a different jail, but but uh, we see him going to a, a visitation area at, at another jail. And this is where we meet Jeff McCullough, played by Tom Waits – or Thomas Waits. And um, McCullough is a young man who we find out was stopped for a minor traffic offense, uh, mistaken for a killer who had the same name. And because of a mix up in, in because of this mix up and because of some of some of the paperwork and because of the fact that Fleming is such a stickler for for the letter of the law and for the way that 
that court is done. Um, McCullough has spent a year and a half in jail, even though he's not guilty of anything more than a minor traffic offense. Uh, certainly mm-hmm. not any kind of felony. Uh, my client, McCullough. Could I see him for a minute? Sure, Mr. Curtin. Mr. Kirkland, what happened? I just want to reaffirm what I said to you yesterday. We're going to get you out. I know you're trying, Mr. Kirkland, but this is crazy, you know? I know it, I know it. I mean, you told me you had the evidence that proves I'm innocent. I mean, it does prove it, doesn't it? Yes, Jeff, you're innocent. And that their Judge Fleming agrees with you, right? Right. Well, if everyone agrees that I'm innocent, how come I'm going back to jail? Roll him. There's enough proof, Jeff. It's just that the court won't accept the proof. Why not? Well, uh, there's a law. Let's go. There's a law which says that evidence must be submitted within a certain time period. And, and, and our evidence came in three days late. What difference does that make? What difference does it make if it came in three years late? They got the proof they need. That's they let me go. I don't understand this. Go. That's not. That's not. me to jail. He knows I'm innocent. Wait a minute. What's just... going on? Yeah, it's just going to take a little more time. That's any other judge would have let you out, but this guy Fleming, he goes by the letter of the law. I don't understand that. Jeff, I promise, I promise I'll get you out. I promise. Promises he'll get you out, buddy. Don't worry. And that's basically the conversation is McCullough saying, when are you going to get me out of here? I've been here forever. What, you know, what's going on? What are you doing? And Arthur, you know, doing his best to, placate him tell him just try to be patient i'm doing everything i can it's going to be he gives him over the course of the movie he keeps giving him these deadlines and i'm like dude you're you can't you can't promise that what are you doing (laughs) yeah yeah yep um the so the one i want to just add on to a little bit because there is yeah please do there's a tiny bit more to his case in that once he was locked up after a certain amount of time and i guess we don't find this out until a little bit later but the reason he had he had continues to do time was someone had planted a I believe it was a weapon in his cell that was used to commit some other crime. So they oh, had yes. a reason to keep him in jail or I guess in prison in this case. Um, and so that's why he's he continues to be held. But there is uh, so Arthur is trying to um, sort of clear him of the initial charge to help. Right, get him out, and uh, yeah, and he's done a lot of footwork and a lot of research, and he has a case. He has new evidence that he wants to present uh, that proves McCullough's innocence, but mm-hmm. Judge Fleming uh, refuses to consider the appeal because Arthur submitted it a couple of days late. Right? Yeah, I don't. Uh, I can't. It was, I don't think they ever really make clear what the rule of procedure that is preventing him other than just to say that there's, he has some evidence that he wants to introduce that would exonerate uh, Jeff. But then because it was a few days late, judge Fleming refused to accept it. And so, uh, right. He's just, he's stuck there or Jeff is stuck in jail or prison. So, yeah, I mean that, and that goes, that goes into judge Fleming's character where he's, uh, you know, he might be within his legal rights to make these decisions, but the sense you get is that that's not a, that is not the only reason why he is he's doing these things. He's also just kind of I don't know. He makes it very clear, yeah, he doesn't care about Jeff as a person, right? Exactly. And, uh, yeah, yeah. He really sees himself as 
above, you know, the the common rabble. Mm-hmm. Right. You you might expect a an ordinary judge to be sympathetic to uh, what we are led to believe is actually legitimately exonerating evidence that is ready to go, but was maybe a day or two late. Um, but uh, not so for Fleming. Right. So I have a couple of plot points kind of jumbled together next. Uh, mm-hmm. The next, uh, we find out that he is going to be representing Ralph, but he also pays a visit to his grandfather, Sam, in the nursing home. Yeah. I had Sam, I had the uh, grandpa bit first in my notes, but uh, I did a pretty poor job of keeping these straight. I was a little bit more... <laughs> frantic in my notes this time through so i i can't be sure that that's the right order yeah the movie was fairly fast-paced there wasn't a whole lot of blank space in here uh it was also around this time i think that he that arthur sits before the legal ethics committee right mm-hmm. so well, i guess we'll take that in uh maybe order of importance uh, to the plots um i think most of the visit with uh, his grandfather is to further flesh out Arthur's character. So uh, basically, Arthur's grandfather, Sam, is uh, in a nursing home, and he is progressively deteriorating into um, Alzheimer's or, or dementia, or he's, he's losing touch, basically. Uh, we find out that he, mm-hmm. he keeps uh, encouraging Arthur and telling him he's going to be a lawyer soon, and Arthur's been a lawyer for, what, like 12 years now at this point? Um, right, mm-hmm. And so we just kind of see the back and forth with them and we see how much uh, Arthur loves him, his, his grandfather. When we find out that's because uh, we don't know – we don't ever learn the exact details, but apparently uh, Arthur's parents were not really around when he was younger. And Sam was basically the one who raised him and put him through law school. And so Arthur has a real strong sense of loyalty to his grandfather. Mm-hmm. And uh, – these visits to his grandfather come back up a couple of times through the course of the movie. They don't really have much bearing on um, most of, of the theme. Uh, they're just kind of kind of plot points. So I don't know for certain that we're going to come back to it unless you have anything specific to, to add to that. No, I mean, I think it just it, it goes more more to Arthur's uh, sense of, you know, doing the right thing and his I guess like his sense of family, but also his sense of duty. Like he, um, we learned that he comes to visit his grandpa regularly every week at this, uh, nursing home. Um, Oh yeah. That actually does come up later because later on Mm -hmm. he misses a few weeks and it causes his grandfather to lose a little bit further touch because, uh, he's kind of measuring the weeks by measuring time by when Arthur comes to see him. Right. Uh, I will mention here that Sam Kirkland is played by Lee Strasberg, who does a, a fantastic job in the role. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I think really, you know, by and large, the I, I mean, I'm biased because it's one of my favorite movies, I guess, but I think the performances are all pretty, uh, pretty well done. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, I agree. I, there's not, there's not a bad actor in the cast, so. But I'm uh, I'm intruding into your into your purview. You're uh, the, you're, you're the lead, you're the movie expert for this for our purposes. That's okay. I'll 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 allow it. <laughs> we'll do a, a pro hoc vice appearance as a movie expert for that line. <laughs> there we go. There we go. 
Uh, and I guess next I'll mention, um, I don't really remember the circumstances as to why there is so much investigation going on. But at one point, Arthur sits before the, um, the legal ethics committee mm-hmm. uh, who is investing, investigating. I, I think in general, they're just they've been getting complaints about some of the behavior of the attorneys and they're looking for like corruption and they're not uh, they're they're not happy with some of the things that they're hearing coming out of the courthouse. Right. And Arthur thinks that this is just like the height of of hypocrisy. He sees it as kind of a witch hunt. They're not going after people who th- he thinks are actually, you know, corrupt or actually not uh acting in their clients or in, in the citizens' best interests, like, for example, Judge Fleming, he, he makes it very clear. He thinks it's all a waste of time. Right. Do you know Jules Stauffer? Yes, I do. He was a client of yours, isn't that right? Yes. Wasn't he originally represented by Alvin Burton? Yes, that is correct. Why did he change representation? Because I handled him on an aggravated assault charge. That's my area, not Burton's area, so... Did Jules Stauffer express dissatisfaction with Mr. Burton? No, not at all. Burton's an excellent lawyer. You're not going after him, are you? Well, we're not going after anyone, Mr. Kirkland. We're simply Do trying you know to... David Krebs? We're simply trying to review certain accusations to determine whether or not they're true and to more or less clean our own house. So please do not over-dramatize these proceedings. It's not the McCarthy hearings. Oh, that's a relief. So you're not going to ask me, are you now or have you ever been a lawyer? That wasn't amusing, Mr. Kirkland. Do you know David Krebs? No, it wasn't, Miss, um... Um... Packer. Packer. This isn't amusing. It is, however, ridiculous. Yes, David Krebs, I know him. Have you ever seen... Is this mic working? Do you know David Krebs? Why are we using microphones? Why don't we just talk to each other close enough? This is a hearing, Mr. Kirkland. Ah, yes. It's a hearing. Uh, Do you know Jules Stauffer? We've already asked that question, Mr. Kirkland. Oh, we're through with Stauffer? How about Alvin Burton? You know David Krebs? I already asked that. What did he say? Said yes. Have you ever seen him intoxicated in court? David Krebs has a speech impediment. Now, if you check your records, you'll see it's there someplace. No, that's the answer to your question. No, he doesn't drink, doesn't drink at all. At this point, I would just like to say that what this committee is doing in theory is highly commendable. However, in practice, it sucks. And I am not going to answer any more questions. Um, and I am curious as to some of the thoughts that you had about this, uh, about this whole situation. Obviously, this is set in a different time, but an ethics committee doing like an investigation, I- I'm sure that that is a, you know, just an analog for like the bar ethics committee nowadays. I, I don't, I mean, I don't know if it's supposed to be separate from that, but I think that's just basically it's the same type of of thing and there is a bar committee they do look into complaints they do investigate cases they do have hearings and things like that and have mini trials for some of these people so that all seemed reasonable i mean like the specific way that they performed their duties and tasks it was 
not for me to say like, no, that would never happen that way. It seemed like, yeah, okay, sure. That that seems like calling people before a committee and asking them about theme things was a little bit, um, it was more like, like a Senate hearing than a trial. You know, they, they call Arthur Kirkland in and they just start rattling off this list of names, asking him if he knows these attorneys uh, and kind of sort of fishing for whatever. It kind of shows that their complaints might be unfounded because the one person that Arthur kind of speaks to at any length is some attorney that they ask if he's ever been drunk or inebriated at work. And then Arthur explains, no, he's he's got a speech impediment and he has a, a stutter or something. So the reason that you think he's slurring his words is is not because he's he's out drunk. He doesn't drink alcohol at all. So you get the sense that there might be some basis for these investigations, but that they may not have a real clue about what's going on and that maybe these are more of a, a witch hunt. Right. And you really get the sense that even some of the committee members are not taking it incredibly seriously. One of them asks a, asks a question at one point <laughs> right. and even the other committee members are like, we already asked that question. He already answered. <laughs> yeah. It. Yeah. So yeah, you get, you get the, uh, they're portrayed as like bumbling and ineffective, uh, you kind of you get you get the idea that Arthur is right. I mean, we're supposed to be rooting for Arthur, but you're like, well, it seems like he's he's right to be dismissive of this committee. That's kind of the impression that you get. One of the committee members in particular is a woman named Gail Packer, uh, played by Christine Lattie. And after Arthur is dismissed, the um, committee members are on their way out of the building, and Gail actually stops and they have a conversation and. Basically, just in general, this starts up uh, the the romance aspect of the movie. Uh, they they begin a relationship, and there's some back and forth there. And I thought I, I thought it was you know fairly well presented as far as their chemistry with each other, the fact that uh, they're they're not on the same page about a lot of things, but but they like each other, and it's a I like that their first date. It's presented very well, uh, the scene where she brings over Chinese and um, he's walking around the kitchen while they're talking, uh, making tea mm-hmm. and lighting a couple of little candles in this, you know, small kind of dumpy apartment <laughs> that he lives in. I, and I've got to tell you something. I, I, just, I loved it. It was really cool. Go ahead. When you, So you said the tea and – I, this is this is one of those my things that I obsess on. That's like a very minor thing that has nothing to do with the movie. He takes his tea bag, dunks it into the tea as though it were like a cookie. He was dunking into milk and immediately takes it out. Does not steep it at all. He puts it in there for like certainly less than ten <laughs> seconds, then takes the tea bag out. And it drove me crazy. I fixated on that stupid thing wow. for like for like two minutes after that. I couldn't. It took me out of the movie because of his stupid tea. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. But man, that's that's a <laughs> testament to to when one little detail can mess something up. But <laughs> I, I do want to say I, something about the uh, legal. Well, I guess. <clears throat> Yeah, I guess this would be a, a legal. I, I had it as a legal black mark, a, a negative of the movie is uh, Kirkland gets involved with a member of the ethics committee who is investigating right. him, which <laughs> is, I mean, clearly that's an ethical problem. I, you don't <laughs> right. like that's just a conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. Even and, I wondered, I was going to ask you about that if you didn't bring it up. Yeah. And um, uh, I mean, she is. She's like tough. Gail is, um, Gail is portrayed as the only competent person 
on the ethics committee. And as you mentioned, they like kind of have these heated debates and she is holding her own the whole movie. She's portrayed as like competent and sharp and like really believes in this ethics committee. So for her to just be like, yeah, we'll just date this guy that we're <laughs> investigating. It just seems like that was a, I think they, they both would probably know better and they probably would have um, some comment on that. So. Yeah, the fact that it's 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 really the fact that it's never addressed that is mm-hmm. probably the black mark. I mean, maybe maybe if they actually mentioned, you know, we shouldn't even be doing this or something. Right, right, yeah. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know how it would be presented and still work in the story context, but um, it just <laughs> I was like, ah, that doesn't really make sense. But anyway, besides now that I've derailed us because of a tea bag. <laughs> what's next <laughs> so, hey that's what the teabag did to you so turnabout's fair play i suppose but the next thing we find out here kind of in succession um before one of the the wildest sort of diversions or diver- divergings from the plot uh before we get there we find out that arthur has actually taken on as a client the man who we saw brought into the jail at the beginning of the movie when we're introduced to Arthur. Of course, you and I mentioned before, this is uh, Ralph Agee, played by Robert Christian, um, a young black crossdresser who we find out at this point was arrested for robbery. Uh, I'm Arthur Kirkland. You want him to see me? Yeah. Yeah, m- m- my man Barry. Ooh, he recommended you real highly. Mm-hmm. He, he, he said, he said, Arthur Kirkland, he the man to see. Okay, Ralph, why don't you tell me what happened? It says here in the report that you were involved in a robbery. Uh-uh. No, sir, uh-uh, no. See, what happened is, I was in this alley petting my dog when they came down on me. Say, sir, that you were, the uh, dog was attacking you when you were first seen in the alley. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, well, see, my dog, he, he, he gets it like that. It also time. states that the dog belonged to Mrs. B. Jackson. Well, he sure looked like my dog. You know, he had that, that little, uh, that, that, uh, uh, It also states here that when asked what you were doing in the alley, you replied, I don't know nothing about that taxi cab robbery. Now, that's true, because I don't. As you know, there was one, Ralph. <laughs> Mr. Kirkland, there's always one. Ralph, tell me the truth or get another lawyer. I don't need the bullshit. Let's go. I was in that cab, but I didn't rob it. It was my cousin's idea. I didn't know nothing. It was my cousin's idea. See, he, he, he crazy. What's your cousin's name? I don't know. I, I mean, um, uh, he, he lived over on Hillsville. You don't know your cousin's name. Ralph, who do you think you're talking to? You think I'm an idiot? Okay, I read a report. I can tell if somebody's bullshitting me or not. Now, either you give me some straight answers or you get yourself another lawyer. I don't have time to listen to some jive ass. Put me on. It, it wasn't my idea, but I, I, I did I did know what was coming down. I wanted to speak a little bit, just kind of more generally about... I guess trans rights in the criminal justice system generally. I I thought that um, 
the movie did a good job of of showing some of the issues that are sadly still going on for these people, these inmates or accused people who are like you mentioned in the beginning, the uh, Arthur talks to one of the, the guards and says, why aren't you doing something about this person who's being harassed by both the people who are in the jail as well as the guards themselves and the, the, Guard is just like dismissive and it's like, oh, they need something to do. And um, I, I, I was curious about the state of the law on this now. So I did just read a couple of articles over the last, you know, week or so. And there has not been a ton of improvement in, uh, I believe the term is a category problem, which is when a transgender person enters into like a space that is kind of more rigidly defined for males or females, which would be Mm -hmm. um, like a jail or a prison system. And um, there, uh, one of the articles in particular talked about a lot of statistics and just how they're still Everything you see in this movie is uh, not only still going on, but it is. Um, I would say I think it, I think is a majority of the reported incidences. So, um, you know, I I don't know what exactly the point that I'd want to make is, other than, um, you know, this is something that maybe people could stand to be a little bit more aware of that this is a bad situation for a lot of people that has not really improved in forty years. And, um, you know, there's, um, a lot of complicated pieces to this, especially when people are incarcerated and, you know, there's a lot of one size fits all plans that don't probably work for people. But, um, uh, this Ralph, you throughout the movie, he, she is, um, treated pretty poorly and, um, it leads to you can see this desperation that she has to do anything to not go to jail because she knows what's going to happen to her if she has to go to jail or prison. And that's, um, that's like still how it is. Uh, I don't want to get too blue, but I will say that there were some cases of, um, transgender women who, resorted to like attempting to castrate themselves with just like broken glass in the hospital because they were refusing to do, I think it was hormone treatment. And so they just kind of like forced their hand and then they still refused to do it. And this has happened like multiple, multiple times. So, you know, I'm, I'll get off my soapbox other than to say that, um, this movie, I thought particularly for when it was made, um, like it wasn't, it was showing people being bad, but it wasn't doing it, condoning it. It wasn't doing it, making fun of this woman. It was saying, this is bad and wrong and this is happening. And I think I would argue that the movie is trying to get you as a viewer to realize that it shouldn't be happening. And, um, I just wanted to add that it shouldn't be happening and it still shouldn't be happening. And I'd like to make some more people aware that it is. Right. Ab- absolutely. Um, that's an important point to make. And, uh, 
I was impressed with the fact that our sort of window into this movie, um, Arthur Kirkland, is going to bat for for Ralph even before Ralph is one of Arthur's clients. And um, the pronoun situation, you, you did correct yourself and refer to Ralph as she. It's it, like you said, this was 1979. The 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 concept of referring to trans uh, people with their preferred pronouns was not nearly as much of a topic of conversation in the larger uh, zeitgeist as it is now. And Ralph uh, didn't make much of a point about it in in the film, probably because she was more concerned about just surviving. Um, But Ralph does present 100% uh, present as female. Um, Doesn't correct anybody with a, well, does, does Ralph, give a different name at any points I, I can't remember i don't think so okay i don't think so either but so if um uh, anybody who notices uh i referred to ralph as he earlier if i do so again um it's only because in the film there's not really an alternative presented but it is not unlikely that it if if this were uh presented as having take, taken place in like within the last five years, uh, Ralph very well may have um, offered a different name and uh, expressed a preference to be referred to with feminine pronouns. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, uh, I, I was impressed also considering the fact this is 1979, that's uh, that there wasn't more hay made out of this, this particular situation and that, um, Kirkland, actually, the hero of the story, uh, that it's a non-issue for him. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. The only the only real friction comes when, um, when Ralph is trying to kind of BS Arthur about what happened when Arthur finally agrees to take on Ralph's right. case, and that's the 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 only thing that Arthur says is you know. Nope, you don't lie to me. I, you want me to help you? I will help you, but I can't do that in, unless you're being honest with me. It's and there's no, nothing is there's no not you know not played to Ralph's expense or anything like that. So uh, yeah, I will I will say one one other thing is just the the state of the law now for incarcerated people as of uh, right around the turn of the decade. So like I think it was in. 2010, 2011, something like that. There was a case that basically forced a big policy change for federal prisons. Um, and so now for transgender inmates, the government, I believe they are required to guarantee access to hormone therapy if it's deemed medically necessary. And transgender people who are incarcerated need i think the term is individualized assessment so there is um an individualized assessment is probably the best solution the the one size fits all plan doesn't seem to be appropriate so the individual assessment is probably the right choice if you are curious about this sort of thing i would recommend uh lambda legal is a good institution that um, deals with a lot of this stuff and they have some good resources if you're curious and want to learn more about state of the law history of the how how we got here and all that but um, that's something that's accessible to everyone whether or not you have like a legal research account so yeah and I'll see if I can't put something like that in in the show notes as well 
But yeah, I, you did mention after Arthur takes on Ralph as a client, uh, Arthur f- asks what happened uh, on the nights of the event that uh, Ralph, where Ralph's being accused of robbery. Mm-hmm. And I thought just from not having much personal experience in this area, I thought this was presented fairly well where Ralph is just a scared, relatively young, uh, you know, young person who is trying to presents it in as positive a light as he can because mm-hmm. I mean that's what any anyone would do in that situation but as his attorney you know Arthur needs to know the whole truth he needs to know everything that happened right and he's reading from you know the the report basically of the arresting officer and so I didn't have to do criminal client intake but you know he's comparing the the officer's report and saying, well, it says here, this is what happened. So tell me your version of the story, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought that was all, all seemed to be well done in his little client meeting that he had. Good deal. Yeah. I was impressed. It just seemed like he was trying to fill in all the right blanks and uh, get, get a, get a fuller picture of what happened so he could figure out where, mm-hmm. you know, where he needed to present the case from. And right. Uh, basically the, the story with Ralph as where it goes because we'll, we, I think we can go ahead. I, I, I kind of want to go ahead and talk through Ralph's story before we get into sort of the big plot point that's coming up. Okay. If that's okay. Yeah. And just kind of talk about how that plays out. Sure. I will give one more, um, go off on one more tangent here. At some point when Arthur is at home and Gail is spending the night, uh, they are interrupted by a knock at the door um, in the wee hours. I think it's around 3 Mm a.m. And Arthur answers the door and it's Jay, um, his his partner, again played by Jeffrey Tambor. And we find out that um, Jay has been – you know, he's – always felt kind of bad because he's so good at getting acquittals for – for guilty defendants, like people who he knows were guilty, um, even of sometimes of violent crimes. Um, well, he shows up on this night and he's drunk and, uh, Arthur finds out that, uh, what happened is that one of, after one of the uh, guilty clients, uh, after Porter got him off, he, uh, went out and, uh, killed two kids after, after his acquittal. And, Jay is feeling the weight of that, and uh, that comes into play a little bit later on in in Ralph's story. But did you have anything to add to that particular scene or interaction before we? Uh, yeah, get back to Ralph. Um, this this Go is ahead. one of the things that I uh, had marked down for well done because, uh, you know, I mentioned this at the top of the show that this is this movie does kind of gets this point across very well that the the weight of all this stuff can wear down on people and certainly to different degrees and mostly anecdotally i mean i have to deal with some bad stuff but i'm not um you know i don't i don't have clients so i'm not technically like you know defending people and i I don't don't have the same experience that jay does but i certainly feel these things about working on these cases and and sometimes you might have to do a decision one way or the other because it's legally correct that still makes you feel bad but i have also plenty of people that i uh, know or know through somebody anecdotally who have been criminal defense attorneys who have felt 
basically this. Like I got this, this person is not a super great person, but uh, you know, I did this and this happened and either they felt uncomfortable or they felt bad or they felt I'd like, you know, not, nothing like it, that. I have never been uh, exposed to anybody who had the same degree as in this movie, but certainly it must happen. And I know on a smaller scale, I have directly talked to people that felt this way. So yeah, this is um, something that I thought was also done well in the movie. impressed with uh tambor's performance here uh, of course um there's uh, he's he's put out a lot of great performances in his career uh and actually talking about trans rights he he was he got a lot of acclaim mm-hmm. several years ago for uh his lead role in the uh tv series transparent um since then there there as seems to have happened on several more episodes yeah. with some of these yeah. some of these actors there have been some things that have come to light in tambor's behavior that have been less than savory uh he was called out during during the me too movement uh which of course is still um rightly still ongoing uh, that there needs to be some transparency there um did did not mean to fall back onto that word <laughs> uh but um uh this was again 1979 years before anything that tambor is alleged to have done occurred um but i still feel like it's important to uh, acknowledge that uh he's got he's got some some problems in his in his past fairly recently mm-hmm. that have come to light so um but to get back to uh to ralph um basically we we find out he he was at least an accessory to robbery in this cab um and his whole thing is he just, as you mentioned, for, for obvious reasons, is terrified of, of going to prison. And so Arthur's whole approach to Ralph's case is he's trying to get him probation. Right. So um, 
we we really don't get a whole lot of the well actually we really don't get a whole lot of in court anything in this movie um it has a lot of law but not a lot of courtroom scenes for the most part so for ralph um arthur takes him to his trial and i believe he's found guilty uh and but it seems to be no big deal and arthur is pretty confident that I guess because of his prior history or whatever, he, I guess like there must be like a score sheet or something where he just believes that, um, Ralph will get probation and, uh, they just need to prepare like a, like a pre-sentencing report or something. I'm sure it's some sort of calculation, some recommendation, whatever, whatever. And then they'll go back in for sentencing at a later date, present it to the judge. And then it is believed to be or presented to be just kind of like a formality that Ralph will get probation and will not have to go to prison. Do you want to, to get into what happens now or do you want to? Yeah, I think I want to go ahead and yeah, finish okay. out Ralph's story and, um, we will come back to it. But on the day of the sentencing, uh, Arthur is at the courthouse and he uh, he's there for a different reason. But while he's on his way out of the courthouse, uh, he finds out there's some kind of altercation going on. There's some kind of scene being made. And as he gets closer, he finds out that Jay, uh, his friend who showed up drunk at his at his apartment, um, has completely just had had mm-hmm. a breakdown and is has taken a bunch of plates from the cafeteria and is just throwing them down this hallway not really targeting people specifically necessarily but just you know throwing all these plates um glass plates and, mm-hmm. and breaking them and it's one of these situations that would would in a different movie would be funny but in this movie, it's, you know, because of the circumstance, it's just, for me, it was just yeah. unsettling. Um, and Tambor played it perfectly. Uh, and Arthur, with the help of uh, Judge Rayford, who, well, we've talked mentioned before and we'll come back to again soon, uh, gets down to the end of the hall and subdues Jay so that the, um, I guess, the court courthouse security mm-hmm. or whoever can come and, and uh yeah. you know restrain him and as uh, as he's taken away arthur wants to ride with him in, in his ambulance but uh ralph's sentencing is at five o'clock and so another lawyer who i mentioned earlier warren fresnell uh, played by larry brigman um arthur asks if he will please take uh you know uh substitute for him in court gives him these papers says all you need to do is present you know this and this and this we've made some some of the requested amendments to the probation uh all you need to do is present these things importantly he he states that there are errors in the report that need to be corrected so uh yeah yes and uh so fresnel takes the paper says says he'll do it arthur gets in the ambulance with jay and do you want to take us through what happens yeah. at the sentencing? And I will I will also just add briefly that um, the bits and pieces you see of it's is it Warren? I don't I couldn't he was the name that I didn't write down. Yeah. So Warren, the, from yes. the bits and pieces you see of Warren leading up to this, you he's not a, a criminal defense attorney. He's like a real estate something. He's just you you get the sense that he's kind of like a 
money grubbing kind of uh you know not like a, a yeah he's not right, in it for yeah, the people so you get the sense <laughs> that he's just like you know he's that type of lawyer and so he goes into he has a meeting with some other business person and then realizes he's late for this hearing and you know again you just get the idea that he's uh doesn't care can't be bothered about to 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 do this this sentencing hearing he arrives at the hearing and um uh he's late and the judge is kind of ticked off at that which uh the judge would be so thumbs up on that and um the judge i can't remember exactly how it was phrased but he was like well i have this report here do you have anything to add to that and um warren just says nope we're good and I think it's all there for you, judge. And the judge looks at it and says, well, I'm not satisfied. I'm n- n- no probation for you, Ralph. You're sentenced to, I don't remember what the sentence was, but it was a non-zero amount of time in prison. And Ralph starts freaking out and is being dragged away. And then it seems like Warren realizes, oh, wait, I was supposed to point out these errors. And he stands up and says, oh, I'm sorry, judge. I'd like to point out, point your attention to these errors here in this probation. And the judge is basically like, too late. We're gone. I don't, I'm not even sure if the judge responds to it. But basically, Warren. Yeah, the judge is like, are, are you aware of, uh, you know, proper right, courtroom procedure right. or proper protocol yeah. or something like that? And that's, it basically just dismisses yeah. it. And, um, Ralph gets dragged away and Warren probably doesn't care too much and heads out the door. Uh, do you want to uh, take over for what happens next? Or I can keep going if you want. Yeah, so um, so the next time we see Warren, he is leaving the parking garage there at the at the courthouse. And he is accosted by Arthur, who starts basically... Um, uh, destroying a Warren's car, uh, smashing in the windshield with a briefcase, uh, kicking it, hitting it. A really sturdy briefcase, mind yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> yes, like a steel briefcase or a metal briefcase. <laughs> and um, uh, Warren is like, what are you doing lately? You know, what are you doing to my car? And basically he rolls out his window just enough that they can hear each other. And Arthur's like, get out of the car. <laughs> and Warren's like, okay, back off and I'll get out. And, uh, of course, Arthur confronts Warren for, for what he did. And Warren makes a sort of half-baked, uh, excuse for himself. And, um. He basically says, you know, I you don't know, care about this, uh, this says, minor stuff. It's like, this is small, small time and I don't, yeah, I you don't know, care. Uh, what the hell is wrong with you? What do you think you're doing on my car? Okay. Tell me about it. You tell me about it, Aggie. Come on, Warren, tell me about it. He got by me. He got by you? He got by you? He got by you, damn it! By you! Now listen! Just stay away from the car! Aggie did not have to go to jail! Do you understand? He did not have to go to jail! He gets out on probation in ten months! Listen, that's not all my fault! You know I don't like those penny-any bullshit cases. I was doing you a favor. Favor? What kind of favor? It's nickel and dime, Arthur. It's all nickel and dime. Don't you care, Warren? Don't you even care? If you care so much, why weren't you in the courtroom? You're goddamn right I care, but not about them. People, Warren, you know, 
they're people. They're just people. If he's not in jail this week, he'll be in jail next week. Oh, God, for God damn it, you know probation's at fault. Appeal it. Oh, I can't appeal it. He's dead. And you find out that uh, when you know when Ralph thought he was going to go to prison, then that was that was it. That was that. Yeah, I think that he also suggested, um, like he'll be he'll he'll be out on on parole in eight, eighteen months or something like that. To show that that he really didn't care, and also really just didn't grasp the situation yeah. at all, and. Arthur, I mean, you can tell it just it just wrecks Arthur. He's completely just right. broken by this. And he, um, Arthur, has the response that is like, "Don't you care? The, these are people. Don't you care?" I think is what he says because Warren is mm-hmm. obviously doesn't care. He he is. This is he'll he'll be out soon enough. But like, you know, the kind of. Just below the surfaces, Arthur kind of saying, like, if this was you, you know, why wouldn't wouldn't you care kind of thing. Yeah. That's more of his perspective. And, of course, Arthur is going through a lot at this point. He's dealing with the situation with McCullough that he already feels mm-hmm. like he's failing with. And then to have this happen, in addition to the, the major thing that he is dealing right. with right now, which I guess it's... About time for us to yeah. us to come back the, to. The, I guess the the main plot point really going going back to the beginning of the movie, yeah. uh, Warren and uh, Jay. When Jay was prior to him having his his breakdown, and when and when Warren was still on good terms. At one point, Arthur comes to the courthouse, and he finds them just uh, they're just like ecstatic in the hallway, and they drag him into a men's room, and they share. The gossip. And what is what is the gossip? That um, Judge Fleming was arrested on a rape charge. And that furthermore, he wants Arthur Kirkland to be his attorney and to represent him. And um, the Warren and, and Jay can't cannot contain their laughter. They are they're crying, laughing. And Arthur is kind of yeah. <laughs> dumbstruck, it seems like. And I think his his first reaction is kind of a "Why me?" Um, but uh, yeah. he ends up taking the meeting with Fleming. Yeah, and we find out. Um, I think that the way we find out is through Judge Rayford, right? As to like, I think I know what you're going to say, and yes, I think you're right. But I'll I'll let you say it first gotcha. before. So, so Arthur is kind of hemming and hawing about whether or not he's going to take this case. Mm-hmm. He meets with Fleming and Fleming of course is protesting too much. You know, he's like, I've never committed a crime in my life. Right. You know, uh, I, w- um, I want to interrupt you for a second there because I just want to say how funny it is that he says, I've never committed a crime in my life as he's literally committing a crime, the crime of battery. Cause he gets pissed off at 
Kirkland, who kind of says basically, I would never represent you, kick rocks, and Fleming like gets in his face and grabs his shirt and is like shaking him and is gonna like punch him or something. And he says, I've never committed a crime in my life, which, you know, you can't you can't go and run and grab someone. That's a that's a crime. <laughs> Mr. Kirkland, as you undoubtedly know, Judge Fleming has been accused falsely, I might add, of sexually assaulting a young lady. He wants you to represent him in this case. <laughs> what may I ask is so funny? I, I just think it's, it's... It's just crazy. I don't think it sounds so crazy, not really. Well, there are two lawyers up in the third floor men's room who think differently. As a matter of fact, one of them right now is laughing so hard he's choking in the sink. I'm aware that I'm not particularly uh, well-liked, but the fact remains I am innocent and I fully intend to have that proven in a court of law. Now, Mr. Bates and I feel in this particular situation you would be the perfect lawyer to handle my defense. What is this? Two of you got together, put your little heads together, came up with that one. That's a beauty. Real question is why? Why me, fellas? Come on. We need you for political reasons. Political reasons? Yes. What kind of political reasons? This case will create a, a tremendous amount of media coverage. Now, the animosity between you and the judge is well known, but we can use that to our advantage. Why else would you defend a man you dislike so much, unless he was truly innocent? And he is, you know. Remarkable. Remarkable. But you see, personally, I don't give a shit. Why, you smug son of a bitch! Henry! 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 I've never committed a crime in my life. Judge. If you're innocent, truly innocent, you don't need me. Get yourself another lawyer. But continue. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, Arthur is basically all but decided that he's not going to take this case. And um, at the invitation of Judge Rayford, uh, he, he meets him for breakfast and Rayford uh, convinces Arthur, who is afraid of heights, by the way, to come with him in a ride in his helicopter. <laughs> uh, once again, Rayford is ex-military um, and uh, also borderline suicidal. <laughs> so uh, he takes Arthur out for this ride over, um, uh, I'm guessing, I guess, Chesapeake Bay and um, – he decides to uh, toe the line as far as he, he says he likes to go out and fly until he's not sure if he has quite enough fuel to get back. Yeah. He, he says they're flying and he says something like, Oh, we've hit it. And uh, Arthur's like, hit what? And he's like the 50, what that the halfway point I like to go. I find that I calculate how far halfway <laughs> is. And then I drive, I fly just a little bit farther than that to see if I have enough fuel to get back. Yeah. And um long story short, he he doesn't quite have enough fuel to get back and they end up <laughs> they end up crashing into knee deep water uh maybe a hundred yards or so out from the shore. And uh mm-hmm. so they kind of wade back in and um they're in this uh little restaurant and Arthur has a blanket around him and is, you know, drinking some soup or something and um Rayford's ordering a BLT or something and uh 
they, uh, you know, they're just they're just <laughs> talking. I, I don't remember if Rayford tries to make any comment or teach any lesson out of this, but basically he mm-hmm. uh, tells Arthur that. Listen, let's get back to Fleming. You mean you won't even consider taking this case? No, I'm not interested. You better be interested, Arthur, because there's some very powerful people in this town who can ruin your career. Ruin my career? What do you mean, ruin my career? Well, they can have you disbarred. Disbarred? What are you talking about, disbarred? Did you ever have a client named Ernest Drago? Yeah, Drago, yeah. What about him? Well, you gave information to the police on the QT that led to his arrest and conviction. Drago was not. Drago was insane. He used to sit in my office and rattle off to me some of the most grotesque fantasies you can imagine. I handled him one time on a burglary charge, and I used to hear that stuff every day. He would tell me these fantasies, and one of his favorites was, what would happen if he stuck a firecracker in somebody's mouth? Yeah, that was one of his favorites. So I read in the newspapers that there was this, this, this nut who was holding people up with a gun, forcing cherry bombs in their mouths. I knew it was Drago, so I told the police. By telling the police you didn't prevent a crime. You betrayed a client. You violated the code of ethics. What the hell are you talking about? What the hell is going on here? Arthur, they want you. You're a very principled, ethical lawyer with no political ties. (sighs) I tell you, they want me. They want me to defend Fleming because of my moral integrity. And if I don't defend him, they're going to have me disbarred for being unethical. Put aside your personal feelings. Take the case. You've worked too hard. Come on. Don't throw your career away. That's actually very similar to what happened in A Time to Kill. He had a client who had a particular MO for some sort of crimes, and he made some statements to uh, Arthur about like crimes he wanted to commit or something like that. And I guess I guess it's not the exact same, but it is the same general idea as in A Time to Kill. And mm-hmm. Arthur read about a particular cr- crime in the paper that matched uh, what he had been told by his <clears throat> his former client previously. And so he went and reported it to the police and said, I think this is the person who did it, et cetera, et cetera. So he, he basically violated the trust of a client. And... Um, and yeah, Rayford warns uh, Kirkland that uh, if he does not represent Fleming, that Fleming is going to have this brought to light, and uh, most likely it will end with Kirkland being disbarred. Right. And let me just say that this is like, you know, that's accurate. The I don't know about the punishment itself, like whether disbarred, you would be disbarred for that. Maybe, probably, maybe. But um, we did get into this a bit when we started to talk about what you can and when you can and cannot sort of uh, uh, report what your client tells you uh, when we talked about A Time to Kill. And um, so, yeah, right. this is also accurate portrayal of what you can and can't do. All right. And so um, when Arthur goes back and tells Judge Fleming that he will he will take the case, uh, he finds out that the reason Fleming wants um, 
or the reason, yeah, Judge Fleming wants Arthur to represent him is because it's common knowledge that Arthur hates his guts and uh, that if somebody who um, obviously doesn't like him is willing to represent him, that that will lend public credibility to uh, to the idea of his innocence. They mention, I think they describe it as like a political motivation, which I guess the the only people who would be aware of this or care about this would be people involved in some degree of politics. So, mm-hmm. sure, that makes sense. But I'm sure a jury doesn't know about that or care about it at all. You know, yeah. like, how much do you know about the relationship for the judges in your jurisdiction and various local defense attorneys? Well, <laughs> zero. <laughs> does it maybe have anything to do with the uh, the fact that there we know there are obviously investigations going on in the courthouse and that people are looking into things like this? Sure. I mean, maybe it's yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's to do with you know ethics. They don't want he doesn't want to be investigated by the ethics committee or something. But I just uh, I, I guess it like it makes sense that there would be a political reason to do it. But as far as that it would be some sort of master stroke to have influence on the jury. No, I don't, th- I, I don't so much buy that. Um, also, I want to mention that there was uh, a, uh, uh, something that I did, did not think was very legally correct it is part of his, him accepting to represent judge Fleming. He attempts to barter with him. Yeah. I was going to get to the quid pro quo. Yeah. And as a condition of his representation, he wants him to look at the Jeff McCullough uh, evidence. And the judge sort of like agrees to do it, but um, none of that would be acceptable. That's another ethical problem is trying to do a, like you said, quid pro quo for as a condition of the representation. Yeah. Having a judge make a decision in your own separate case. No, that's not no good there. Judge, I want McCullough freed. Nothing can be done. Now, I don't buy that, Judge. Just reopen the case. That's all I'm asking. Reopen the case and give me a crack at a jury. I'll get him acquitted. Now, look, you are in no position to ask for anything. But I'll see what I can do to help. Perhaps there's an exception to the statute. Yeah, there is some um, there is some back and forth between Kirkland and Fleming, uh, Pacino and Forsyth as they go. Uh, go through the motions of the case and everything. And a lot of this, as I said, is happening along the same time as the other stuff that we've already talked about. Right. Do you want to go through any, any of like the, the points of what Arthur does uh, to try to, to try to get through this case before I, there's one thing before I, I finish up with, before we finish up with uh, Fleming, I do want to come back and talk about what happens with Jeff, but is there anything you want to talk about with uh, Fleming's case right now? Or do you want to, do we want to go ahead and go back to Jeff and find out what happens there? No, I mean, nothing really jumped out as significant enough for me to note. Yeah, basically he – so he goes and finds a possibly a witness who can attest to somebody meeting a different description than Judge Fleming visiting the uh, the alleged victim that, that same night uh, as possibly, you know, somebody else who could be a um, a suspect. Uh, he meets with uh, the – um, the prosecuting attorney who I mentioned before, Frank Bowers, uh, once again played by Craig T. Nelson, and uh, tries to talk him into throwing the case out. Um, 
but Bowers knows that there will be a lot of prestige uh, in convicting a judge. And he also says that even if he did throw it out, it would be seen as, you know, some kind of like some kind of political glad handing or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, but he he is frothing at the mouth trying to think about taking down this judge. Yeah, yeah. So those are kind of the main points um, before, like, the, the one big thing that we'll come back to here in a minute. But, yeah, I guess we can go ahead and go back and talk about what happened with uh, with Jeff. I, he, is he just called? Is he just – is Arthur just, like, called by – because it's – I guess because it's his client, they just call him, right? Uh, yes, because I don't, I don't remember how we get to the next scene. I, and I I just have, like, I jump right into the meat of it. But I can't remember why he ended up there. But I guess he's just like, uh, we need you. There are a lot of those, like, kind of um, sharp turns taken in this movie. Somehow when you're watching it, it doesn't feel uh, that jolting or anything. It's just kind of mm-hmm. fast-paced, like I said before. But, but yeah, when you're when you're summing it up, it does seem like we're just kind of jumping around from thing to thing. And, and there is some yeah. of that. Definitely in the pace of the film. It's just the steady beat of the drum beating down Arthur. Just the constant boom, boom, boom of things yeah. happening and him constantly having to put out fires. And, uh, you know, maybe it's intentional as part of showing that. Well, after finding out that uh, that Ralph has hanged himself and after finding out that he is, in fact, going to have to defend Fleming in court because uh, Bowers is not going to throw it out um, – I think I have my my points of plots in the right order there. Um, mm-hmm, yep. Arthur gets a call that Jeff uh, has taken two, um, I believe, two either uh, employees or possibly two guards hostage yeah. at, at they the They look prison. like orderlies or something. Order, like, I, I was actually like- going to say maybe orderlies. Um, but he's tied them up and locked himself in in this hospital room. Uh, what looks like a hospital or clinic room and uh, is in there with a gun and um, not letting anybody in and is threatening to kill the hostages if they try to come in and get him. Mm -hmm. And so Arthur shows up to the jail and asks if he can come in. Um, Well, he's allowed in by, by the, by the guards who, which I don't, I don't know how likely that would actually be to happen, but (laughs) actually I have this listed down as what, (laughs) there is no way (laughs) they would let this guy's attorney go into a hostage situation and try and start negotiating. No way. (laughs) But, uh, but yet it happens. (laughs) And, um, right. And Jeff does let him in and you can tell this guy is just totally lost uh, touch with reality. Yeah. Oh, Jeff. Oh, Jeff. No, look. Jeff, you can't win this thing. You understand? You can't win. Jeff, this is their thing. They gear up for this kind of thing, Jeff. Please. I can't stand it anymore. They raped me. A bunch of times. And other stuff, too. Hey, Jeff. 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 Can I move closer? Jeff. Can I move a little closer? I guess so. Just down here. I want to talk to you. Jeff. Hey. Listen to me, Jeff. 
don't know what to tell you. I just don't know what to tell you. Anything I tell you, you know, it's just, it's just that you gotta give up. Give up? Yeah. To who? Yeah, Jim. You gotta do it. Everybody screwed me. Who else is there? Would you go away, please? Oh, oh, Jeff. That's all I want is just this much free space. Just this much. That's all I want. I swear to God. Jeff, I swear to God. It'll be all right. You did what you could, Mr. Kirkland, but nothing makes sense anymore. Not in here. What are you going to do, Jeff? Nothing. I don't have to do anything. You can't just sit there, Jeff. Yes, I can! That's all I want to do is just sit here. Okay. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to stay in here. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, they'll just leave me alone and I'll just stay here and I won't, mm-hmm. I won't go anywhere else. And, and I, I don't uh, know if we mentioned, but he, Jeff has been getting mistreated in prison sig- significantly. And yes, he actually, we, this is when he, he says, I, I think this is when we find out he tells uh, Arthur that um, he was actually sexually assaulted by other inmates. We saw earlier in the film, he was already being physically assaulted. He showed up mm-hmm. to one of their conversations yeah. with a, with a black eye um, and a bloody lip. But after, after the, the rape, that's when, that's when he kind of snapped and, he decides to take things into his own hands. And there is some back and forth in the conversation, but then at one point somebody else like kind of pokes their head um in front of the the window to the door uh, behind which Arthur and, and Jeff are are seated and, and talking. Arthur's trying to talk him down and Jeff gets riled up again. He's like, No, no, tell them tell them not to come in here and he, he stands up and when he stands up a uh um uh, I don't. I don't know if it's. Sniper. I don't know if you call it a sniper, but but okay. Yeah, so, so a rifleman. On, I don't know. Yeah, on a rifleman or a sniper, a shooter on on the roof of a building across the street, uh, takes him out, and um, and that's that situation is uh is resolved, and that's the last of um of Jeff McCullough after he was arrested for a traffic violation. Yeah. And after Arthur's been working to try to get him out for um, over a year, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, any anything else on the McCullough situation before we we get into kind of the the end stages here of the plot? No, I mean just that it's you know it's a sort of an analog for Arthur. He's he Jeff is trapped in an unfair system and is just being beaten down, and that's kind of what. Uh, Arthur is as well. He's he's being trapped in this unfair legal system and is just constantly being beaten down. And there's a scene where Arthur is talking to Jeff, uh, you know, during one somewhere midway through, and he basically says, "You just got to keep hoping. You just have to have hope." And I think that's sort of you know him talking to himself to just as much. But uh, yeah, yeah, and so so at this point, just to kind of recap, his grandfather who raised him. Uh, and put him through law school. He's slowly losing touch with reality. His uh, his good friend and partner has had a nervous breakdown. One of his clients killed himself because Arthur wasn't there to uh, present, you know, the probation corrections himself and make sure it didn't happen. 
so he was let down by a colleague and uh, now his other clients has um, basically committed suicide by police, you know, taking hostages there in the prison. And he's just taking hit after hit, and he's got these two failures now, that what he perceives as failures in um, Ralph and Jeff. And mm-hmm. he, you see him the next morning kind of sitting on the steps outside of uh, – either he's been walking and he's somewhere or he's on the steps of the prison. And as the sun's coming up, this group of runners comes by. And Arthur just gets up and starts to run along with him. And they're giving him kind of like <laughs> yeah. quizzical looks like, what's this guy, you know, doing in his suit and jacket? And But Arthur's just kind of running. And I liked the uh, the sort of symbolism there, that that's just kind of what Arthur does. But on top of everything, he's also defending this, this judge who he just absolutely hates and doesn't right. want to defend. But at this point, he, uh, you know, he doesn't have any reason really not to, and he has a lot of reason to, uh, to do it. But then as he's running, he gets to his office and parked outside of his office is his rich business client, Carl Travers, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. one at the beginning of the movie who, uh, got into the car accident and wanted Arthur to give the other guy the death penalty. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Carl Travers is parked out in front of his office. Do you want to talk a little about what happens here? Yeah, so Carl calls uh, Arthur over to his car and has him come into the car. And you can see Carl. I think every time we see Carl, he is with uh, some a sex worker of some kind or another. <laughs> yes. And, this, and so there's a woman in the back seat of the car. And basically, Carl has acquired some pictures of Judge Fleming, Judge Fleming's assistant, and a prostitute in various compromising positions and um carl you know he just he is doing this as a gesture of gratitude for arthur and basically he says you know i was your first client we go way back this is just consider this a thank you or something like that and gives and gives arthur the pictures and <clears throat> you know <laughs> i guess because <laughs> this is 1979 this as is conclusive evidence in Arthur's mind that um, that Judge Fleming is guilty of this rape, and so it sort of changes Arthur's whole uh, whole approach to the to the case. I should also mention that we didn't say this earlier, but um, along with this witness who backs up Judge Fleming, there was also he took a polygraph test and passed his polygraph. Yes, and thank you. Is there was there anything else other evidence? I feel like there was three pieces, but maybe I'm not remembering that correctly. But um, anyway, I did want want you to. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the polygraph, and I had forgotten about that. They mentioned uh-huh. that a polygraph is um, since they haven't been proven to be 100 percent accurate, that they are not yeah. admissible evidence in court. Uh, yeah, I mean. They're not 100% accurate, but I don't think that that is the test for any kind of evidence. But no, I, I don't believe that polygraph tests are admissible. I don't think they're admissible in any court. It could be could be wrong, but um, yeah, I don't think they're uh, reliable uh, reliable enough to be. Allowed. I mean, I'm I would be surprised if they if they had maybe never been introduced in any court in the history of court. But I don't believe that they are recognized as uh, an effective, uh, you know, diagnostic tool. 
Hmm, that's interesting. Okay. And I actually, I mean, that's brought up again at the trial uh, because Arthur brings up the polygraphs a couple of times in, in his opening statement and mm-hmm. he's sh- shouted down. Um, but yeah, he, uh, so he has the pictures and he's not really sure what, what to do with them. G- Gail from the uh, ethics committee and, and also his girlfriend even warns him that, you know, the ethics committee is watching him closely uh, uh, since the contempt of court incidents. And um, he needs to, Basically, to tread lightly, you know, be careful. Look, Arthur, come on. These photographs are disgusting, but they're not proof that Fleming raped Leah Shepard. He did it. Son of a bitch is guilty. He's okay. guilty. Okay, then drop the case. I can't. Why not? Because the man with the whip is blackmailing me. He's blackmailing yeah. you? What for? Long time ago, I betrayed a client's confidence. It's a long story, Gail. That's why Zinoff pulled your file. What do you What do you mean? After you walked out on the committee, we did a check on you. A check on me? Yeah, yeah. Zinoff requested it. I had no idea wait, wait, why. Wait, 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 wait a minute. You mean to tell me while we were sleeping together, you and the fellas were making decisions on my life? Arthur. Gail, would, on my would life? Would you just let me finish, please? The next thing I knew, Zinoff stepped in. He said he wanted to personally review your case. I swear to God, Arthur, I had no idea. Jesus, this whole thing stinks. Okay, Arthur, if you feel that way about it. Then fight him. Go ahead. Go up against him. Take the consequences. Consequences? Consequences are that I'll be disbarred, Gail. I know that. That's right. I'm a lawyer. That's all I know. Then do it. Defend Fleming. You'll win the case. No disbarment, right? You'll end up being a very important lawyer. A judge is guilty well, wait, of wait a minute. and wait, raping wait. a woman. Arthur, you're talking yeah. crazy now. You don't know he's guilty. You're making an assumption he's guilty because you hate him so much, right? Even if he is, what difference does it make? Come on. A defense lawyer has to defend people who are guilty. You know that. Would you defend him? You or me, would you do it? I would, Arthur, because it's my job, you know? Look, you took an oath to defend your clients to the best of your ability. Now, if you can't do that, then get out. But then Arthur uh, shows the pictures to uh, to Judge Fleming, and uh, Fleming kind of looks them over, and he just he has this creepy, gets this creepy smile on his face, and and... Forsyth injects this edge to Fleming's voice where it's like, okay, well now the mask is coming off and, and he Mm -hmm. admits, uh, he, he opens up and freely admits to Arthur that's, uh, yeah, I, I did it. I, I raped the girl. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He just, he's just, again, these pictures are apparently conclusive proof that. (laughs) that Well, and I guess up to this point, you know, Fleming has been presented as a jerk, but he's presented at least as a jerk who upholds the law, uh, sometimes to the detriment of, of true justice and definitely to, uh, 
you know, to compassion, but he is at least he's a rule follower. Uh-huh. But now, sure, even that veneer has been stripped away, and uh, you know, we see him for for who he really is. Where'd you get these? I've been carrying them around for a couple of days. I'd like to know what they mean. I see the wheel spinning. Sex photo, sex crime. Is he guilty? Is he? Yes. you have it. I'll see you in court, Arthur. Now it's time for the big trial, unless you have anything else. Well, I was just gonna, I was just gonna say one last bit is that he, uh, he like hands him the pictures back too. He's like, don't forget your pictures. Cause he's like really like all in on, I don't, I don't care. There's nothing you can do to stop me. You have to do this or you'll be disbarred. Basically. He doesn't say these things, but that's sort of hanging there. So yeah, yeah, Judge Fleming absolutely. returns the pictures to Arthur before Arthur leaves and basically challenges him like, what are you going to do about it? Before we get too far, I wanted to say one thing that I, I that happened in the plot that I don't think we said yet. Uh, somewhere around this time, Arthur finds out that the ethics committee is already looking into his, his violation, his... Um, like the the thing that Judge Fleming was threatening him with w- is already being oh yeah looked yeah into. that's what actually uh, again kind of a breach of ethics that's one of the things that Gail mentions to him is that they're already yeah. investigating I mean I don't him, think she basically. knows exactly what they're looking into I think Arthur admits to what that admits, he had this thing and Gail yeah. said oh that must be why they pulled your case which still, yeah that's, that's what it is would be a breach but um, <laughs> maybe not as severe as her saying oh yes they pulled your case they're looking into you for this reason but um yeah you're right okay yeah thank you we kind of pieced that together um between ourselves so nice <laughs> nice research there <laughs> but uh this is why the uh, the testimonies of multiple witnesses are are, are better than just one so <laughs> right but, but yeah arthur's um License to uh, to practice law obviously means a lot to him, or he wouldn't have taken Fleming's case anyway. But we've seen over the course of the movie that he just gets more and more beaten down and and loses more and more of his hope um, in the ability to to make any real positive difference or do much of anything with that license. And mm-hmm. this is the Arthur who is going into the courtroom on on the day of Judge Fleming's trial. And uh, so as they're sitting there waiting for for the trial to start, uh, Fleming looks over at the uh, the victim who's you know seated in the crowd and makes a makes a comment to Kirkland that he wouldn't mind seeing her again sometime. Just really, yeah, he's like you said, leaning trying to in provoke Arthur and really just taunting. Yeah, just taunting him. Like, well, you can't do anything about it. You know, you know everything now, but you still can't do anything. And you can tell Arthur is sitting there just steaming. And right. uh, as Warren gets up, uh, the, the prosecuting attorney gets up and and presents what I thought was, you know, pretty cut and dried, pretty uh, 
It's, I mean, it's over the top. You can tell he's he's just really chewing the scenery and loving it. But mm-hmm. but he everything he says is from what I remember, but pretty spot on. So it's really very simple. We have a judge, the symbol of justice here, who is accused of raping and brutally beating this young girl right here. Now we can do something about it. And we can do it today. And we can do it together. Now let's make this our goal line stand. Just give me a verdict of guilty. I need your help. Thank you. Uh, did you have any comments on Bauer's opening statement? I have a comment on on the opening, but I couldn't remember which one of them did it. But after at least one of their openings, the jury and possibly the people watching start applauding, which is totally inappropriate. And I really don't think that would ever happen, <laughs> well, but I'm... Yeah, it's kind of like, a, a, what was it, a page out of, um, oh gosh, what was the really silly one that we watched? Trial and Error? Or, no, um, not Trial and no, Error. Uh, um, yeah, the... The bone one, <laughs> the one where he's got the bone. The bone from the, the hip. Where he's got the, from yes, the hip. from the hip. Yes, yeah. it was a very from yeah, the hip Yeah, it's like thing. a scene out of that. But uh, yeah. I think that was after Arthur's uh, okay, presentation. Okay, I couldn't remember. I, I didn't write which one it was, and I couldn't remember. Prosecutor's completed his opening statement. Defense counsel ready? Yes, Your Honor. Your Honor, Mr. Foreman, ladies and gentlemen of the jury... My name is Arthur Kirkland, and I am the defense counsel for the defendant, Judge Henry T. Fleming. But I will say the other thing is him doing his opening, and he starts, you know, waltzing around the courtroom and going up and approaching the jury, which by now we, you listeners, you dear loyal listeners know is is not correct. But also I wanted to point out that this is by far at one hour and 48 in minutes into the movie, this is by far the latest of our free to move about the courtroom uh, spotting <laughs> that we've had on the show so far. So this is, this is going to be the time to beat, I think uh, as far as, you know, depth into the, the movie, but yeah, nothing, nothing for the, the opening seemed, you know, <laughs> yeah. nothing overt, overtly offensive. I, I will say uh, Arthur's opening statement was, it was an interesting one to watch. It's it's a little bit long. I'm not going to play the whole thing, but I, I definitely will play um, p- parts of it. Uh, the most famous line in the movie actually happens. I don't think it's really part of his opening because his opening has kind of been cut off by then. But he starts out by and, – and you might have some more specific notes here – but by apparently presenting a strong case to exonerate Judge Fleming based on, you know, based on the – you know, the – the quality of the the prosecution's case and and uh, things mm-hmm. like that, but then it takes a turn. Now that man over there, he's the prosecuting attorney, and he couldn't be happier today. He is a happy man today because today he's going after a judge, and if he gets him, if he gets him, he's going to be a star. So he's counting on tapping that emotion in you, which says, let's get somebody in power. Let's get a judge. However, these proceedings are not about that. These proceedings are here to see that justice is done. 
And justice is, as any reasonable person would tell you, the finding of the truth. And what is the truth today? One truth, a tragic one, is that that girl has been beaten and raped. Another truth is that the prosecution doesn't have a witness, does not have one piece of substantiating evidence other than the testimony of the victim herself. Another truth is that my client voluntarily, and the prosecution is well aware of this fact, voluntarily took a lie detector test. Objection, Your Honor, that's inadmissible evidence. What? Come on, Arthur. Tell the truth. The jury will disregard that remark. Polygraph tests have not been proven 100% reliable, therefore inadmissible in a court of law. Sorry, Your Honor. Let's get back to justice. The intention of justice is to see that the guilty people are proven guilty and that the innocent are freed. Simple, isn't it? Only it's not that simple. However, it is the defense counselor's duty to protect the rights of the individual as it is the prosecution's duty to uphold and defend the laws of the state. Justice for all. Only we have a problem here. You know what it is? Both sides want to win. We want to win. We want to win regardless of the truth. And we want to win regardless of justice. Regardless of who's guilty or innocent. Winning is everything. The one thing that bothered me, the one thing that stayed in my mind and I couldn't get rid of it, that haunted me, was why. Why would she lie? What was her motive for lying? If my client is innocent, she's lying. Why? Was it blackmail? Was it jealousy? No. Yesterday, I found out why. Uh, before we get into the turn that uh, that Arthur's opening statement takes, do you have any any more specific comments about about any of that? Uh, let's see. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to spoil exactly what my notes say about his ultimate performance but at the beginning it seemed like a pretty well done opening because right he just is going through the evidence that the state has and is explaining why it's not good and he's kind of talking about the evidence that he has and why explaining why it is good like we've got this witness who says he wasn't there we got this polygraph we got whatever this that and this uh He's a judge. He's so beloved, or whatever he said. I can't remember all the things he says, but I guess that that wouldn't actually that wouldn't be appropriate for him to say. But <laughs> right, I will also mention I forgot. Um, 
that uh, Judge Rayford, who took uh, Arthur on the helicopter flight, is actually the uh, judge presiding over this case. Mm-hmm. Um, and right before the case starts, uh, we we see him in the bathroom uh, with his rifle down and like pointed up in his mouth, yeah, like he's yeah. about to try to try to blow his brains out and the uh the bailiff or somebody comes and like knocks on the door and says judge they're they're ready for you and he just like spits the gu- you know spits the barrel out and mm-hmm. starts coughing and retching and he's like just like oh just he's over it he's fed up with uh with the whole thing but he goes out to preside over the trial and uh so he's the he's the one watching over everything and uh the one sustaining Bauer's objection when Arthur first brings up the polygraph. Right. But yeah, like like you said, he presented a pretty strong case and uh, says, you know, the prosecution is not going to get Fleming. She doesn't have a motive. You know why? Because she's not lying. And ladies and gentlemen of the jury... The prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. My client, the Honorable Henry T. Fleming, should go right to fucking jail. The son of a bitch is guilty. That man is guilty. And then he says it's because he's going to get him and he declares in his opening statement before we don't see any back and forth, like any questioning, any cross-examination, anything like that, because in his opening statement, he says he is going to get him. He being Arthur. And says he, Arthur, is going to get Fleming because Fleming is guilty. Yeah. He just, my notes say Kirkland goes nuts. And then it says, obviously not okay. But, you know, obviously also that's not the point here. It's to show that Arthur has snapped. Of course, yeah. Plot-wise, it's like he realizes this is all – well, here's what he says. You know, I'll go ahead and play the The uh, famous snippet. Judge Rayford bangs his gavel and says uh, that that Kirkland is out of order. Mm -hmm. And here's what happens. He is a slime. If he's allowed to go free, then something really wrong is going on. Mr. Kirkland, you are out of order. You're out of order. You're out of order. The whole trial is out of order. They're out of order. That man, that crazy, depraved man, raped and beat that woman there, and he'd like to do it again. He told me so. It's just a show. It's a show. Let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. I just completed my opening statement. The whole courtroom's out of order. And yep, yeah, the whole the whole trial is out of order, you know. And man, so Arthur has completely lost his uh, lost his faith in this whole this whole situation, if not the whole legal profession, you know. Right. It's just you see you see the culmination of all the things that have built up in this movie, and um, so he's uh, dragged out of the courtroom. Uh, the whole time, you know, shouting at Fleming and talking about him, his abuse of the system and everything. Yeah. And being, being dragged out by, uh, you know, bailiffs or whatever. 
Yeah, and and this is when the all everybody in the courtroom stands up and cheers. Um, even Gail from the ethics committee, who is there, <laughs> yep, yep. is clapping for for Arthur. And um, uh, Fleming just kind of sits down and hangs his head. Uh, Judge Rafer just like throws down his gavel and storms out of the courtroom. Mm-hmm. And um, that's it. That's basically the end of the movie. Uh, Arthur is uh, sitting on the courthouse steps, uh, probably thinking about how he's well. He's definitely going to lose his. Uh, lose his license now, and um, the last thing we see is Jay uh, passes by. Oh, shortly before his breakdown, we see that Jay has shaved his head. Mm-hmm. Shaved it completely bald. Uh, going for a new look, I guess. And here at the end of the movie, he passes by with a full head of hair, and he takes it off. It's a wig, and tips it to Arthur like a hat. He says, good morning, Arthur, and puts it back on and just keeps walking by. Heads on into the courtroom. And Arthur's just kind of sitting there, dumbfounded. Mm -hmm. And that's the end of the movie. So my take on this ending is to show that, you know, recovery is possible even after you are chewed up and spit out by the system. And even if you have, you know, a mental breakdown, you can, there is still a path to get back. And so I think that is uh, meant to show that Arthur Kirkland is going to return that he will he will ride again that that's my take on it i take it as gotcha. a okay as a sign yeah, that there's like that. that as recovery is possible and that is uh, something that he can do cuz you know i mean if you think about it jay was throwing plates at people and f- freaking out and clearly arthur had some kind of mental break in in his uh, in the courtroom there so who knows though we'll have to wait for the sequel <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a uh, you know, it that is really I like that. I, I that honestly had not occurred to me. I, I was kind of I don't know if put off is the right word, but I was a little surprised by the sudden, you know, uh, abrupt ending of the movie. But I I like that idea, and it, and it is more in keeping with the um, the the tone of the movie and the whole theme of you know fighting through it, not losing hope. This is a hard hard thing uh to be a good lawyer and to keep showing up to work and doing your job even even when it's not even when it's not rewarding even when sometimes the bad guy gets away and the good guy dies you know it's mm-hmm. uh right but if jay not only if jay can come back but if jay is willing to come back and continue going to work after all of that right then yeah it's there's a pretty good a uh, pretty good chance that arthur will be as well yeah i also sort of think that um it shows that the justice system continues with or without you. So uh, he's inside this yeah. this big, you know, earth-shaking thing happened to him and the people that are right in there. But then outside, life is just going on like nothing ever happened. Um, yeah. The world moves on. One other thing I wanted to mention, because it's in my miscellaneous section of notes at the end. I don't know if you noticed this. They showed it in a few different scenes, but um, there is a, uh, it's called a steno mask. Uh, it, it's like, it looked like someone was breathing into a machine, like covers their mouth and nose. It's like a black, almost like an oxygen ah, mask okay, yeah. with like a tube held uh-huh. into it. And that is something that they used to do for uh, like recording a transcript. It would have the the stenographer would like speak into it because it was supposed to be more effective and efficient than uh, typing the record and then sort of like dictating it later. So yeah, they would put this thing on their mouth and look kind of like Darth Vader and they would 
<laughs> speak into it. And you see it in a few times in this movie. And I, I can't think of another movie that we've seen it in or that I've seen it in since. But I wanted to point it out in case anyone watched the movie and was like, what the heck is that thing? Yeah. Steno mask. Yeah. I mean, I never even noticed it and, and I never heard of it. So that's, that's cool. That's an interesting note. Uh, we talked about this a little bit in From the Hip when, uh, when Stormy was uh, at the end wanted to, like he was sure that his client was guilty and wanted to say something, but mm-hmm. in the end just kind of kept provoking his client slyly and let, let the client hang himself. In this one, Arthur just comes out and says, my client is guilty in the courtroom. Right. So like talk a little about, uh, obviously that's not, that's not what you do. Talk a little about why that is like, what, what are the implications and what, why, why, why don't people do this? <laughs> well, I mean, he's betraying his client. Um, you're, yeah, which has come up in the movie anyway. Yeah, and like if you admit that your client is guilty, I mean, obviously it wouldn't happen like it does in this movie. I don't think people just get up and scream from the mountaintops that their client is guilty. But there has been cases that I've seen coming up in what's called post-conviction relief, which I think I've mentioned before, which is like uh, mostly ineffective assistance of counsel. And there have been cases that have been, uh, well, reversed is not the right term, but found in favor of the defendant where their attorney had admitted guilt on something without like, you know, involving the client. Because I, I guess the concept is like it's the client's, that's one of the decisions that the client has to make. So I don't know what would the exact procedure for some outburst like this. I imagine there'd be some kind of mistrial. And then depending on what the rules of procedure for that court are, there'd be, you know, some other process from there. But, um, you know, he wouldn't, he would just be released into the streets forever. And I, Arthur would not be on the case anymore. I wouldn't expect. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess with that, it's time to, uh, to get into our verdict. Yeah. So, um, I have not, I mean, I, like I mentioned a few times, this is one of my favorite movies. Uh, certainly one of my favorite legal movies. And I didn't, hadn't like gone through with like a critical eye in this sense before but really i think overall it does far more things right than it does wrong i think a lot of the parts that it um are maybe not so accurate involve ethics strangely enough and that's interesting to me because this movie is i mean it sort of is about ethics in a lot of ways maybe not the rigid formal ethics of a committee, but I think a lot of the do the right thing is prominent in this movie. But, you know, uh, there's a few things with like the relationship between um, Arthur and Judge Fleming that are also created a little bit of moments that are not so accurate, but I think some of that was necessary for the plot to work. So my overall verdict is I think far more of it is done well and I would say that the main point is that I just think it does such a good job of showing the, like, I, I think I keep using the word weight, but the weight that the, that being a lawyer or being involved in the justice system can have on attorneys that, uh, for me, 
this is is always going to be a uh, not guilty. So this will be a, a pretty more accurate than not accurate. Gotcha. And as far as me coming to it fresh for the first time, my my first thought, and this is always such a throwaway thing to say, but my first thought was truly this is such an interesting movie, <laughs> and um, I. I was kept engaged the whole time, which can be can be difficult for an older film, I think, for a lot of people, mm-hmm. even in our generation, but especially in the younger generations. Um, I was blown away by the acting, especially uh, like Pacino's performance and uh, Tambor's performance uh, were both really good. I thought Jack Warden as Judge Rayford, again, was really good. And uh, Robert Christian as Ralph Agee was just um, – also did a stellar job in this movie. Yeah. Um, but all of the acting was great. Uh, I, I thought that the story points, w- while there were some things that were over the top, kind of like what you were talking about with uh, some of the um, some of the things that didn't necessarily line up with ethics or even with some of the legal points, everything was done in service of the story. And um, I think it was it was presented well. And I came away from it really enjoying it. I I will almost certainly watch this again, probably with my dad, which uh, is is a pretty pretty high mark for me. <laughs> um, he doesn't have a super high bar for movies that he enjoys as far as the quality of the film, but when I want to share a movie with him, uh, that usually speaks pretty well of it. So I don't know that just because of personal preference, I don't know that I can put this movie on the same level as my cousin Vinny. But, you know, I don't know. I'm, They're very different movies. They are very different movies. I also try to think about how much can I recommend this to somebody. I could recommend my cousin Vinny to a lot more people than I could recommend this movie to, I think. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I don't know if I had watched this before we started doing this show and I started learning more about the legal profession through you than I ever knew before, if I would have enjoyed it as much because having some of that insight, I think, is really – if you either have some insight already into the legal profession or if you have an interest in it and you know have that that skin in the game as it were i think that this film is going to hit you a little bit differently than it is going to the average consumer mm-hmm. but you know i i think i'm going to have to for the first time i'm i'm going to i'm going to do a do a half star on this i'm going to give this one four and a half stars <gasps> out of 5 mm, that's that's higher than i thought you were going to go yeah i um I, I probably would have given it four just just after watching it, but after discussing it and after you drawing out a few more things in it, that that honestly bumped it up a little bit higher. It's it's much more of an acquired taste than than my cousin Vinny or a time to kill, and um, a few good men. As much as I enjoyed a few good men and a time to kill, and as as impactful as they were and as as well done as I thought they were, there's something real about this movie. There's mm-hmm. something raw about the performances and about the story and the way that it doesn't just kind of tie things up with a nice neat bow like a, a few good men and a time to kill sort of did. Mm-hmm. It's it's much less polished than those two movies. Those are definitely two those are two big Hollywood films. This doesn't have that. This is just a it's it's a really I think honest presentation of what it's like trying to be 
a moral lawyer, maybe not a by the books ethical lawyer all the time, but a moral lawyer in this system that that is so often not uh, not really what it needs to be for the common person. Yeah, the more I talk about it, the more I'm just really, really impressed by this film, and it's one that I think bears repeat viewing. So, um, yeah. if you watched it for the show, or if you haven't watched it yet, and if you're not really sure what you think of it the first time, I think a second viewing, especially with a with a friend or with somebody that you uh, you know somebody that you like watching movies with, I think it's gonna gonna raise it even higher in your perspective. So, yeah. Um, that, that long and rambling answer and uh, justification, I guess, <laughs> I'm going to settle on four and a half stars for yeah. and justice for all. I think I like uh, I think I like it more every time I watch it. I think I find something new to appreciate about it. So I think you've yeah. uh, covered it pretty well. I think f- four and a half is a perfectly fair rating. Very cool. So that's going to do it for and justice for all um, and. We've got something kind of special lined up for next month if everything uh, everything comes together. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be watching a movie that I don't think was on on our docket this early in uh, <laughs> in in the show's life, but it just so happens that um, one of my uh, one of my podcasting buddies, one of our fellow VGM podcasters, Jason Ariola, who hosts the uh, video game music podcast rock out with your card out is also the host of a show called multimedia failure where he and uh, two of his friends um i believe their names are john and jessica i it's been a while since i listened to any of the episodes but i think it's john and jessica watch video game movies all the video game movies they can find and just sort of talk about them (laughs) most of the time it's just a rant because you know we're Video game movies are not known for being um, high cinema, (laughs) but uh, sometimes they're pleasantly surprised, and it's about time for them to uh, watch the Ace Attorney live-action legal film, and we thought it might be a cool time for a crossover, so uh, yeah, I think that that's going to be our movie for next time is, let me actually look up the official title. The official title, yeah. Yeah, I meant to do that earlier, and I forgot. It looks like it might just be called Ace Attorney. There was also an animated series, an animated uh, TV series. I don't know if it was actually anime or if it was more Western styled, but uh, called Ace Attorney. But in 2012, there was a, this is a Japanese movie, so we will have to watch it with subtitles. I'm pretty sure. I don't know if there's a dub. Ace Attorney is a 2012 Japanese legal comedy drama film. Um, based on the Capcom video game Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. Um, and it stars um, – it's about Phoenix. And it is – the U.S. premiere was at the Hawaii International Film Festival in April 2012. Uh, okay. According to Wikipedia, there are plans for an international release with both dubbing and subtitles available. I don't know how long ago this was updated, so I don't mm-hmm. know if that's actually happened at this point. But I'm sure that we can find out. Um, and let me see if we have top people working on it. Yes, we have all of our all of our interns are working on this night and day doing the research for us. <laughs> and Jason is probably going to help us find a way to watch this, but through the power of editing, without all of the pauses and ramblings, I'm going to let you all know if I can find a place to watch it. Turnabout trial. That's the Japanese name. The literal translation. Huh. Okay. Gakuten Saiban. So I guess maybe we could call it Ace Attorney Turnabout Trial. Yeah. 
this was given a um, it has a six point five on IMDb. So I've actually heard that it's a it's pretty funny that this is not a terrible film. So we'll have to we'll have to see how that plays out. You can rent it on Amazon for two ninety nine. So that is not bad at all. I don't think so. Um, yeah, what are your uh, what are your thoughts about that? About <laughs> watching the Ace Attorney movie? I, I mean, I think it'll be uh, interesting to see because obviously I'm not very familiar with the Japanese legal system. Um, I know mm. that they have far far fewer attorneys there. That it's not a very litigious country. But I think it would mm-hmm. be. I I liked the games when they first came out. I did not keep up with the series, but when the Ace Attorney games were new, I bought the first maybe two or three of them and enjoyed them a lot. Um, so yeah, it'd be fun to revisit the franchise. I've only played a demo of one of the games. I don't have a lot of history with it, but uh, we are going to be appearing on Multimedia Failure with Jason and his co-hosts uh, just to talk about the film kind of casually. And then Jason is going to join us to dig a little bit deeper into it as we do as our first expert witness uh, and talk about how well the movie lines up with uh, with the game series. So that's going to be coming sometime in the month of August. Uh, nope. Sometime in the month of September, because August is when we're actually releasing <laughs> the, the show that you're listening to right now. So sometime in September, you'll hear us. And um, I will also post on Twitter when uh, Multimedia Failure shares their episode. So Cool. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. I think that's going to just about do it for this episode, though. Is there anything else that you wanted to, uh, to add on? No, I don't think so. Uh, do I would recommend this movie. I, I don't. I mean, you could probably assume that that's the case, but uh, I don't recommend all the movies mm-hmm. we've watched. And this one, I would say, go out of your way to check it out. I think it's uh, a classic. I would say the same thing. So, all right. Well, in the meantime, you can find us uh, on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at VGM Pod, and you can find me at the Dyad. And in the show notes is also a link to the uh, very good music Discord uh, that was started for my my other podcast, but it's still going. And there is a channel in there for the movie bar. Uh, please uh, interact with us. Let us know what you think. And uh, if yeah, if you haven't seen Injustice for All at this point, definitely go check it out. There are a whole lot of nuances in the film that we did not get to in this episode, so uh, you're you're really going to enjoy it, even even for knowing. In this movie, it's not about the destination. It's all about the journey. So you're going to get a lot out of it. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Well, then, I guess uh, we will see you all next time. Um, I'm Bedroth. I'm the Diet. Case closed.
writes a best-selling book And I do the time 